Uh, you can be turning your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm just going to use the pulpit mic. 1 Kings chapter 19. Lazy staff member. You know, I'm the youngest of six children. I was always called the baby. I always preferred the term caboose. So we're going to go with caboose tonight. I bring up the rear. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. This is uh, a message. It's probably unlike any other message I've ever preached. Um, I enjoy preaching. Uh, I think whenever the Lord calls you to preach, there's, there's nothing that can fulfill that inside of you. Um, but this is unlike anything else. So if, if my thoughts seem a little bit scattered, just bear with me. Uh, and hopefully the Lord will give me some clarity. But 1 Kings chapter 22 we're going to get right into it, verse number 1, verse number 1, 1 Kings 22, verse 1. The Bible says, And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Now, I want to stop there and lay a little bit of foundation. Most of us, as we begin reading the passage, you're going to recognize the story very quickly. But if you'll think with me here about what's happening, you have uh, the nation of Israel is split up into two different portions. You have uh, the tribes of Israel and you have the tribe of Judah. Now, the, the tribe of Israel was typically run by wicked kings. At this time, the king's name was Ahab. Most of you would probably recognize King Ahab more by who his wife was. His wife was named Jezebel. And no, that is not the woman that you are bringing home with you tonight, most of you men. But Jezebel was a very wicked woman, and her husband was very wicked as well. King Ahab was a wicked man. Now, Jehoshaphat in the Bible is known as somewhat of a good king, a man who in some ways pleased the Lord, but yet we find Jehoshaphat linking up with King Ahab. We find Jehoshaphat where he should not be with a wicked man. Now, let's continue reading in verse number 3. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria? Now I'll stop here and say this. This doesn't have anything to do with the message. But when you link up with people you shouldn't be linking up with, it's never going to be casual conversation. It's going to turn into something else. Keep reading to verse number four. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle with Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides, that we might inquire of him. Now, I think it's interesting to note that Jehoshaphat is making a wrong decision in linking up with the wicked king Ahab. Well, Jehoshaphat says, hey, you know what? Now that I've already made the decision, maybe we should try to get the man of God to line up with us. And I think it's important to note that when you make a decision and try to make the man of God line up with your decision, chances are you're in the wrong. It'd be better off to get the man of God involved before you made the decision. So he says, you know what, let's go get a man of God. And Ahab says, oh, I know just the guys. And he goes and grabs 400 uh, men that are going to tell him what he wants to hear. And Jehoshaphat 
being a little bit wiser, knowing a little bit better, he sees straight through them for the phonies that they were. And he says, hey, don't we have a real man of God? And I like the way the verse 8 says it. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man. Now, I think it's important to note that King Ahab didn't put up a fight. He didn't put up an argument to excuse the phonies that he called men of God. He knew who the true man of God actually was. And that was Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Let's continue reading. By whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Ahab is saying, you know what? There is a real man of God. There's a man who tells me the truth. But you know what? He always messes with my plans. He always seems to get under my skin. There's always something about him. He just doesn't like me as a person. He's just, he's just a mean guy. Uh, that's what Ahab is telling Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat is persistent, and he says, no, no, we need to hear from the real man of God. Verse number 9, then the king of Israel called an officer and said, hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chanah, made him horns of iron. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, With these shalt thou push the Syrians until thou have consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. A man comes to Micaiah and says, hey, we're all on the same page. We're all dwelling together in unity. You need to fall in line. You need to be just like us. You need to say everything that the king wants you to say. And I love Micaiah's response. Verse number 14. And Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Anybody who said that the Bible is a boring book has never read it. The Bible is full of humor, and I love the sarcasm that you can hear in Micaiah's voice. As he says, oh yeah, go ahead. Go, go on, and you do your own thing, and you're going to be all right. You're going to prosper. And Ahab immediately says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This isn't you, Micaiah. You always go against what I'm saying. Micaiah, I want to give you the truth. And I think it's important to note that any man that's worth his salt knows a preacher who gives him the truth and appreciates a man who will give him something straight. I don't know about you. But if I'm going to go to a doctor and I have a disease, I don't want that doctor to send me home with some aspirin and tell me I'm going to be okay. I want him to give it to me straight. Ahab confronts Micaiah, and Micaiah says, you know what? You're right, Ahab. You follow your own plans. You go up there, you're going to die. You're going to end up, you're not going to succeed. Your plans are going to be foiled. Even though Jehoshaphat should not have been in this situation, he knew the fake preachers, and he knew that he wanted something that was real. I don't know why anyone would choose to go to a church where somebody's just going to tickle their ears, where somebody's going to tell them what they want to say, where they're going to put them in their comfort zone and have their guilty conscience put at ease. I don't know about you, but I like hard preaching. I like it when somebody gives it to me like it is. They tell it to me straight. You can preach hard and in a good spirit, but you still preach the truth. Paul said 
Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I mean, I want to hear the truth. Truth is truth. And you've heard this thing going around today where they say, oh, well, that's my truth. My truth is this. That's Oscar Mayer theology. It's a bunch of baloney. I've never heard of, oh, that's your truth and that's my truth. There is one truth and one truth alone. And the man of God should always speak the truth. Remember Elijah? Elijah was a contemporary of Micaiah. He was there at the same time. Elijah was a man of God that was not afraid to speak the truth. Elijah took on hundreds of false prophets all by himself at Mount Carmel. In fact, Elisha was the one who issued the challenge. He said, hey, why don't we meet up on Mount Carmel? We're going to see whose God actually brings fire down. And I love the, the picture in my mind of how the false prophets, they jump up on top of the sacrifice trying to call fire down. And it, like I said, the Bible is full of humor. They're jumping up and down on the same sacrifice that they're asking for fire to fall down on. They didn't think fire was going to fall, otherwise they wouldn't have been standing there in the first place. But you know what? Elijah, the real man of God, he said, hey, dry wood, that's too easy for God to consume. Let's pour some water on it. And whenever the wood was thoroughly soaked, he, he called fire down from the Lord. And guess what? It not only licked up the water and not only consumed the wood, but it consumed the very stones that were right there on the sacrifice. Elijah then goes off and he rounds up all the false prophets and he kills them all. Before all this, you'll remember Elijah, the man of God, confronted Ahab yet again. Ahab had whined like a little baby, not a baby staff member, like a little baby to his wife, Jezebel. And he said, oh, Jezebel, I want Naboth's garden. So Jezebel made sure it happened. She lied about Naboth, had him killed. They stole his garden. And just when Ahab is in a place where he's enjoying his brand new garden, here comes the man of God confronting him about his sin. And Ahab said, hast thou found me, O mine enemy? He looks at Elijah and he says, you might be a man of God, but I don't like you. You're mine enemy. Elijah stood up against the evil of the day. I don't know about you. That's the kind of man of God that I want. That's the kind of man of God that I want to have in our church. Whether you agree with me or not, you need the man of God. You need him more than you realize that you need him. Here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we have a man of God. I'm thankful for our pastor. You ought to be thanking God every day that we have a pastor who stands for right and who stands for evil or against evil. Are you always going to agree with pastor? No, but that's the joy of being a pastor. It's never a dull moment. When it comes to preaching, I know our pastor's not going to tell you anything other than what God tells him to tell us and what God says in his word. You need the man of God. Now, I have a very, very simple message, a very simple outline. My wife is pregnant, and she wasn't able to write me a more detailed one like she normally does. I've got two points, but the title of the sermon is The Man of God, The Man of God. And I think at some point, every church member needs to stop and take assessment of the man of God and how he influences us and how we affect the man of God. Point number one, very simply, the man of God is the man God has for the church. The man of God is the man God has for the church. Three reasons I'll list. There's many more I could give, but number one, he is the man God has for the church because he will enlighten you. You know, God gives the man of God what he needs to preach for the time and the situation of the day. Uh, it is a heavy burden our pastor bears when it comes to preaching the word of God. I hope you realize that whenever he stands behind this pulpit, he's not here to impress you. He's not here to flatter you. He's simply here to enlighten you. Does that make pastor better than you? No, he's a man just like you and I are but he is your pastor. Is he smarter than you? 
I would say when it comes to the things of God, absolutely. I believe God gives our pastor special wisdom. Any man who leads his church, you know, I'm not that smart. It's probably why I love junior church. I don't know about you. We, we have several opportunities to preach as staff members. My favorite place to preach is always in elementary chapel. I love that age level. Maybe we just connect a little easier. Maybe it's because my IQ is lower. I don't know. But I love preaching to that age group. And you know what? I need to learn. I love coming to church. I love singing underneath uh, the, the preaching because I get to learn. I am enlightened beneath our pastor. Now, I want to encourage you, never get to the point where you think you don't need preaching anymore. Never get to the point where you think you've outgrown the word of God. We need to love our pastor because he is the means by which we receive the preaching of God's word. The man of God is the man that God has for the church, not only because he enlightens us, but secondly, because he encourages us. He encourages us. You know, there are seven gifts listed, listed in the Bible in Romans chapter 12, and I believe that we all have a gift. Some have multiple, but we, we can all think of somebody. Somebody will come to your mind. Those people who just seem to have that gift for encouragement. I mean, when you're down, they can pull you up like nobody else. They can brighten your day. Uh, you know, I've seen our pastor take time out of his schedule to encourage church members, to lift your spirits, to, whether it's individually or as a church collectively, to encourage us when our spirits are down. But I'm thankful that he not only encourages us when we're down, but he encourages us to build and do more for God. He pushes us to exceed and excel in our ministry. You know, pastor gets us excited to start new ministries. He gets us excited to enter a building program. Hey, do you know what it's like in other churches where it's dead and we're not growing and nothing's going on? Hey, I don't know about you. I am thankful for a man of God that encourages us to push on. You know, we have a man of God here. He's leading our church. Our church is growing. You ought to thank God for that. You ought to be thankful for the man of God that we have in our presence. Hey, don't take for granted a pastor who will encourage you and push you to do more for God. The man of God is the man that God has for the church, not only because he enlightens us and encourages us, but thirdly, he will rebuke you, even if it means calling you a baby staff member. He will rebuke you. No, I'm thankful we have a pastor who is faithful to stand up and preach the truth, the whole counsel of God, whether we like it or not. He is a man that is faithful to the word of God above all else. I understand our pastor is not trying to be the most popular, the popular, most popular person. He's not interested in that. And, you know, I think it's interesting to note that most men of God were hated in the generations that they served in. Very few of them were actually given honor in their generation. You look back, in fact, uh, several weeks ago, pastor preached a message on Jeremiah. Jeremiah was hated by his generation. You know what? Uh, I, one, of, one of my favorite preachers to read up on, I like to read of old preachers of the past, but B.R. Lakin uh, faced a lot of backlash in his ministry. He had a large bus ministry. Uh, he was bringing in hundreds of people before buses were even around. He was using wagons to bring families into church. B.R. Lakin was a man of God, and one time there was a lady that approached him, and she said, sir, you're rubbing the fur the wrong way. She's basically saying, I don't like the way you're preaching. And he said, well, then turn that cat around because I'm not changing. He was a man of God that was faithful to rebuke when it was needed. There was another lady that told B.R. Lakin. She said, if you were my husband, I'd kill you. To which B.R. Lakin fittingly replied, if I were your husband, I'd want to be dead. Hey, that's the kind of spirit that he had. He said, you know what? I don't care what people think. I'm going to be faithful to the word of God. I'm not changing. I'm not backing down. If it ruffles a few feathers along the way, I'm sorry, but I have to preach the word of God. He was doing exactly what God told him. You know, we, we are all sinners. 
you may think that you're a good sinner, but you're still a sinner. Uh, the best of us fail from time to time. We all backslide. And many times when we uh, lack a little in our service for God, we don't even realize it. We don't realize that we're doing less. Uh, we read of Samson in the Old Testament and how he wished not that the Lord had departed from him. We act as if though we're any better than Samson is, but the truth is, most of the times when we've backslid, we don't even realize it. We need a man of God who will stand up and rebuke us, who will say the hard things that nobody else is willing to say, and will stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. I know you agree with me. Everyone is blessed who has a pastor who is a man of God and will tell you the truth. I also think it's amazing how uh, people can agree with their pastor, but yet the moment he focuses on your sins and he hits you as an individual, uh, suddenly everything changes. Hey, I'm, I thank the Lord for a pastor who's willing to rebuke us. Point number one, the man of God is the man God has for the church. Point number two, the church is the people God has for the man of God. The church is the people God has for the man of God. You know, we tend to emphasize the responsibility a pastor has toward his church. And I agree with that. Our pastor carries many burdens that you and I will never know. He carries heartaches with him that you and I will never know. But you know what, something church? We can't minimize the responsibility that we have towards our pastor. We have a responsibility to care and support our pastor because that is the man that God has given to us. In 1 Kings chapter 19, you can go ahead and turn there. It's just a few chapters back. But Elijah had a great victory at Mount Carmel. I mentioned that earlier. Then Jezebel comes after him, and he flees to the wilderness. He becomes discouraged, and he even asks God. He said, God, just, just end my life now. Just kill me. Just let it be done. And even the Lord sends an angel, and the angel says, you know what, Elijah? It's just too hard for you. You can't take the journey. It's too great for you. But look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 9. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now jump down to verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God asked Elijah the very same question, both in verse number 9 and in verse number 13. He said, hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you so down in the dumps? Why are you discouraged? And Elijah says, God, I'm trying to serve you. God, I'm trying to do what you call me to do. Lord, I'm trying to stand as the man of God in my generation, but everybody else is going against me. I am doing this work alone. Nobody else is encouraging me. And Elijah sits there, discouraged, down in the dumps and defeated. And you know, that's exactly what Satan likes. He loves to isolate. That's how Satan works. That's how he gets people out of church, because Satan works on them. Satan isolates you. He gets you by yourself, and he starts to destroy your life. 
He makes you think that the burdens you bear, you, nobody else knows what you're going through. Nobody sees you. And guess what? Pastors are not exempt from that. In fact, I believe that Satan has a larger target on the back of the man of God than any other people in the nation. Why is that? Because if he can take out of the man of God, he can take out the church of God. Hey, Elijah had a great victory in 1 Kings chapter 18. And yet in the very next chapter, he wants to die. He's discouraged. You know, you need to encourage your pastor. You need the man of God, but listen, the man of God needs you. He needs you as a church. There's nothing that encourages a pastor's heart more for, than for his people to tell him, I'm with you. I support what you're doing. I'm behind you all the way. I love you. I love your family. Pastor, I'm praying for you. Whatever you need, I'm here. We can do this together. Uh, when I was in college, I had just taken over a bus route as a captain. And when I first took it over, the bus director there told me, he said, now listen, this bus route is struggling. There's not very many people coming in. And if we don't get this thing turned around within the first few months, uh, we're probably just going to do away with the bus route altogether. And so here I am with the burden of thinking, man, I've got just a few months to turn this around. Otherwise, I'm going to look like a failure. I don't, wanna, I don't want that to happen. So I put a plan in place. I'm trying to get the workers excited. I'm trying to get everybody behind the cause. And I'm telling you, just for like that first five, six weeks, nothing was happening. Nobody was coming. No visitors. We couldn't get the buses to come in full. I mean, it was just, it was struggling. And I didn't know what was going on. And I was discouraged. The workers didn't seem to be behind me. And I just didn't think it was going to work out. And my bus driver, he told me, he said, hey, I see what you're doing. Keep it up. Hey, keep it up. I know it's going to turn out all right. And he gave me the encouragement at just the time I needed it. Whenever I thought I was doing it alone, and you know what? Before long, the workers got on board and they were excited. And just a few months later, the Lord gave me even more workers that were even more excited. Before we knew it, the bus route took off. We were going. We had families joining the church. And I mean, it was exciting. You know what? Just as I received encouragement in the nick of time, our pastor should never feel alone like Elijah did in the work of God. He should always be encouraged by his church. You know, it doesn't cost you a penny to tell your pastor that you love him and you're praying for him and you encourage him in the Lord. I'm just telling you the truth. It makes a difference. You need the man of God. But remember, the man of God needs you. If the pastor receives help and encouragement, the whole church is helped and encouraged because he is our leader. I, I understand we need what pastor gives to us. It's a two-way street, though. We need to remember that pastor needs us just as much. Can I point out that to not follow our pastor is to not follow the Lord? In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. You know, God has appointed our pastor for a reason. Our pastor is the under-shepherd, and to think that we can disrespect him and still be in fellowship with God is foolishness. The Lord has given us a man of God. He deserves the respect. You know, I, I am thankful for the church family that we have here. Uh, the family that we have here is not felt in most churches. Uh, and, and those of you who have uh, been outside of this have known that. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in the universal church. I'm interested in the local church. Why? Because that's where people get saved. That's where a work for God is done. That's where lives are changed. It's in the local church. And you know, this local church, I believe, is as important to God as any other local church in the world. And you are a part of it, not because somebody twisted your arm and made you come here. You chose to be a part of this church. And yet, there sits the man of God right there in front of us. 
So what do we do? Do we disrespect the man that God has given to us? No. I tell you what we do. We get behind him. We throw our support behind him. We encourage him. Are you always going to agree with him? No. There's going to be plenty of times when you're wrong. But you know what? We always support him. Pastor can give his life to a person, and yet for some reason, in some people's minds, they will forever, forever make him one statement away from becoming their enemy. Hey, don't look for an excuse to leave. Don't look for an excuse to be upset at a ministry or at a program. Don't look for an excuse to uh, backslide in your service or in your walk for God. Don't look for an excuse to do less. You know, if you obey the Lord and take care of your pastor, it makes our church a family. And I'm glad we have that here. One more verse. Turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. We'll read three verses here. I have a few statements and then we'll be done. Exodus chapter 17, verse number 10. Exodus 17, verse 10. The Bible says, So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua disconfided Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. I love the picture that this paints for us. You know, when God gives a church a man of God, God says, hey, that, that pastor that you're given it is necessary that he bear the burden. It's necessary that he uphold certain things so that that church can prosper and have victory. But that doesn't mean he has to do it alone. You know, our pastor can bear burdens. He can handle heartaches and he can go through sufferings and he can get the strength that he needs from the Lord to do it alone. But he shouldn't have to do it alone. We should be the ones who come up beside him and say, Pastor, Take a seat. Let us hold up your hands. Let us make that burden a little bit lighter. Hey, pastor, let us encourage you. Let us motivate you. Let us uh, support you a little bit more. You know, our church will have no great victories if we let our pastor down. Our church will see no big days if we can't encourage our pastor. Our church will build no, bu no big buildings or uh, we won't reach more people for the Lord if we don't support our pastor. Our victory, in a sense, is in his hands. So let's hold our pastor's hands high. Let's give him the support that he needs. Let's throw our support behind him. Let's toss out all doubt. And let's determine, you know what? I'm going to be pastor's greatest supporter. I'm going to be the one that's there when he needs it, that comes when he calls, that always says, Pastor, I'm here and I'm ready for service. You know, the devil wants to stop our work. The devil wants to stop what's happening right here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Who do you think he's going to attack first? He's going to attack our pastor. You know, the devil is taking out men of God left and right in our generation. And you know how he does it? He starts it in the church. He gets people in the church riled up. You know what you can do to combat that? Be his best supporter. Say, you know what? I'm going to get behind the man of God, and I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to be faithful to my pastor. I know that this is no great message, but it is truth, and all truth is great. You need the man of God, and the man of God needs you. You know, I wonder if Elijah read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Probably not. But you know what? When Elijah spoke, something happened. Great things were done because he was the man of God and he had the power of God in his life. And can I also say this? Beside every great man of God stands a great lady of God. Pastor could say that as well. 
She deserves your love and encouragement. Our pastor's wife goes through and bears many burdens that you and I will never know. All throughout history, at every time and place, God has always provided a man of God. This is the one that God has given to our church right here. I'm thankful for him. He is more important to our church than you and I could ever know. Don't miss that. Don't take that for granted. Let's follow and encourage the man of God. Let's stand by God's man. Lord, thank you for the man that you have given.